Hello everyone, and welcome to the InCust Review, What Great Schools Do. This podcast is designed to inform educators, policymakers, and school communities about the research-based practices, policies, and procedures that make great schools, well, simply put, great. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren, executive coach for InCust, and today, I'm thrilled to have as our guest, Dr. Vincent Matthews. Welcome, Dr. Matthews. Thank you so much, I'm glad to be here. So the first question that I ask everyone that is a guest on this podcast is, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got involved in the work for INCUST. Hey, uh, my name is Vincent Matthews. Uh, born and raised in San Francisco. I went to public schools in San Francisco, uh, then graduated, uh, went to San Francisco State. I wanted to become a teacher and became a teacher. I taught for five years and then became a principal uh, at a number of schools, different schools for 15 years uh, at all levels, elementary, middle, and high school level. And then I um, started uh, my district office journey and became a um an assistant to the superintendent, and then became superintendent of Oakland Unified. Uh, I was actually under state administration, but superintendent there. Uh, after three years, became superintendent in uh, San Jose Unified. I was there for six years, and then I went to Inglewood Unified. I was there for a couple of years. Once again, that was under state administration, which means you're appointed by uh, the um, head of uh, the uh, the uh, public instruction for California, the state superintendent. And finally, uh, after two years in Inglewood, I went back to where I was born and raised, where I originally started school, San Francisco, and became superintendent there. I was there for my last five years before retiring in 2022. And my last couple of years, I became acquainted with NCUS work. Um, I thought it was what I had been looking for all of my career. I'm sad I only found it at the very end. Um, but the practices, those best practices um, that um, schools, good schools or great schools are able to do with all students and all student groups um, uh, brought them into INCUST into San Francisco. And my last few years uh, partnered with INCUST and now I'm uh, excited uh, to be associated with this work uh, and assisting schools to move forward, especially for low-income kids of color have not uh, had the opportunities or chances that they should have had. Wow. Uh, as I'm sitting here hearing your work history, it sort of sounds like my latest travel itinerary. <laughs> you've, been, you've been serving all over the place. This is, a, this is awesome. And um, so on that line about finding your purpose or finding what you really thought you wanted to do in education, I know that a lot of the work that INCUST is founded on is equity and excellence. What comes to your mind when you think of equity and excellence regarding your role in INCUST? When I think of those two words, equity and excellence, it really is about all students um, getting the skills that they need uh, to succeed in the 21st century. And when I say all students, I mean each and every student. so often people say all, and then they will just uh, have a, a number that is the average. And let's say the average of a school district is, you know, 75% of our students are proficient, meaning they're on grade level. Um, when I say all, I mean each and every. That means not only that average 
but it also means um, equity and excellence means we're succeeding for each and every group. Uh, my background is is really uh, that story where uh, I happen to have a mother who said over and over, you are going to go to college. Um, and when you tell a student that over and over, it's amazing what that can do for a young person. So I knew that in my heart that that's what was going to happen. But then she also had to come in and interject. She had to come into the school and make sure I was in college going courses, which I was not. So I happen to have that mother who, who pushed herself in to say, you will educate this young man and make sure he has the skills that he needs to live a successful life. Not every student has that. So if that's not in place, it really is incumbent upon us inside of the system uh, to make that happen for each and every student and for all student groups. And I, the work of INCUST, I believe, it, it actually works to assist principals and assist school teams uh, and district offices in understanding um, what those skills look like and then more importantly, how to make sure it's happening in all of their schools, not just a, a certain subset of schools. Yeah, you know, when I think about your story, I think I too had a mom and a dad who both of them, there, there was never any question in our house that we were going to college. We weren't even asked if we wanted to go to college. We were, we were basically, that was automatic. It was, you will go to college, and they put aside a certain amount of money to make sure my father, he took out bonds, savings bonds, or something along that line, so that we could go not only to college, but when I got ready to go to college, we could go pretty much anywhere we wanted, which right. is, uh, when I look back at that, I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, you talked about equity and you talked about the importance of equity being every student getting what they need. And I love how you talked about we have these averages. And I, it made me think of a teacher I had one time that um, our goal at this at the school that I served as a principal of, we had a goal of 85 percent of the students would be proficient and blah, blah, blah. And this teacher, who was a fabulous teacher, came in my office when we got the results and she said, I'm not satisfied with this. And I said, huh, you got 85% of your kids proficient. She says, yes, but there's 15% that I didn't. And that taught me something really powerful. And that is, yes, 85% is a great goal, but you still have 15%. What are you going to do to make sure you serve those children so that they are prepared and they have what we already have, and that's a job and we have an education. So thank you for that. Yeah, can I just add, I just wanna add on that. And typically those 15% or 20% or whatever that group that isn't typically, they are black and brown, a low income are limited English speaking. And so that group is a group that, that has been marginalized by our system. And, um, and, and the sad thing, the sad fact is that it's actually been normalized or expected that low-income black and brown students, uh, low-income English learners, those students are not going to achieve, and that's been normalized. Can you imagine if high-income or middle-income white students, if the test scores came out and all of them or a large percentage of them were, um, were um, not proficient, were below basic or far below basic, uh, you would you would see a storm upon the school board and and people, you know, clamoring to get in to say, you got to do something about this. 
But when those scores come out and it's black and brown students, that doesn't happen. We have normalized that, and um, th which is why I absolutely love the work of NCUS because it says our work is to unnormalize that, to make sure that that is not expected. If anything, the opposite is, is expected. And we work with those schools where the opposite is expected. And then we make that happen for kids and families or work with schools to make that happen for kids and families. So I have a thought uh, that I just um, just came to my mind right now when you said this has been normalized. And my wondering is, has it ever been abnormal? You know, I wish I wish I could say it, it has been abnormal, but it absolutely hasn't. And that's the that's the and, and here's the other part of that, though, is we know we know what skills it takes to educate educate all students at high levels. So we know the skills. The question is, do we have the will to do it? And do we have the will to do it for all students? And over, over and over, we see that that hasn't happened. Well, I have another question for you. Um, tell us about the book, Teaching Practices in America's Best Urban Schools and what you've learned. I know that as a superintendent of San Francisco, that had to be a very challenging um, role that you played in education. Uh, I, I probably don't need to say any more about that, but <laughs> but the bottom line is the teaching practices. What what in your opinion lines up with what you saw as a superintendent with our books that we use in Incust and the research that we found in Incust about those eight practices that really make a difference? Talk to us about that. Yes, this is the what I just talked about is knowing the, what the skills are. Uh, like knowing and knowing it's important to focus on mastery. That's one of the eight or knowing that it's important to make sure students are um, are are in spots where they are in places where they are um, where they know it's a caring environment or know that there's clarity in the lessons. All those eight practices, when you look at them, they are what we know. If you look at it and it and it, and the sad things is that it happens in some places um, and not other places in a system or in a school. It happens in a few classrooms, but not all classrooms. So the real question, and this is what I learned over the last few years, is how do you make that happen uh, at scale mm -hmm. in a large system or even for a principal? How do you make it happen at scale in all of your classrooms? I think that in looking through them, I knew over time that those were the skills, but hadn't... Um, hadn't put it all together in the way um, the the teaching practices uh, book from Incus does. And so once you see those, it basically is like, duh, uh, those are <laughs> skills. And as you, as you walk through, you say, yes, this is exactly. But and that's the thing. You'll see it in certain places or in small doses in certain schools or in certain classrooms. But put all together is and that's the question. How do you make all of those happen at scale? And the quite the real truth of the matter is you have to be very systematic about it. And that's what I've learned um, over the last few years is that you have to be very systematic about um, making sure everyone knows that this is what we're about. And this is where we're aiming for to have all of these eight practices throughout our system. And then you, you're not going to do that instantly. It's going to take time and it's going to take effort and it's going to take diligence to make sure this is happening in the ways that you want it to happen. And then you actually have to keep walking through and going through classrooms and going through schools and um, and actually measuring what you say you want to put in place. Yeah, you know, I, um, I'm resonating with the fact that you talk, you're talking about systems. 
And one of the books that really impacted my thinking and my work as a leader was The Fifth Discipline of Peter Sange. And after I read that and saw, you know, these, these are the systems or systems thinking that cause businesses to either succeed or to fail, I said, I wonder if they have something for schools. And sure enough, there was a book called Schools That Learned that I used as a guide to open a brand new school. And it talks about systems thinking, making sure that everything in the system is working together, kind of like the human body, that we all have these different parts, but without certain parts of the body, you're not able to function at the highest level that you could function. And so our schools are, are like a body, and we have to make sure that everyone in that system is capable of doing the work um, so that we can make sure our students have the best possible education. Yep, do, absolutely. do you have a specific event or something that occurred in your educational experience that affected what you believe and how you behave? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, there were, I'd say, two big events that happened. The first one I talked briefly about earlier where my mother came into the school system so she had she had said over and over, uh, you are going to go to college. And then she always added, we don't know how we're going to pay for it, but you're going to go. <laughs> so so she didn't. They, my parents didn't save bonds or put money away. So I actually said we used the uh, visa scholarship, which means we just ran up a visa credit card and then <laughs> hopefully opened another one and ran up another visa. Credit oh, card. my goodness. But yeah. So, yeah, still a lot of loans being paid off right now. Um, but that the what the the event that happened was she came into the school. Basically, I was a tenth grader at McAteer High in San Francisco, and she said, "Is he in college going courses?" Someone looked at this uh, little African American tenth grader and uh, decided to put me not in college going courses. So on a Tuesday in October of my sophomore year, I was in classes with students who looked just like me, and on Wednesday. I was in classes with students who looked nothing like me because I was switched out of the non-college going courses into college going courses. And so that event, if my mother had not come up to the school that day, I have no doubt that we would not be having this conversation right now. I wouldn't have been in the positions that I've been in, but, but it was because she was dedicated and she knew that she, for an African-American woman that you just cannot trust the system to do what it's supposed to do, which is you know a sad commentary on our system. So that was one event that really happened. And it, it really formed in me the importance of us making sure students have the skills that they need to go on and live the lives that can actually impact either a community or even a city. Or in my case, I ended up being a superintendent and the leader of education in so many cities. Uh, the second event was when I first got into um uh, after graduating from San Francisco State, I started teaching at a school called George Washington Carver School. The school was 100% low income and 100% African-American. And we had the highest rate of achievement in the entire city. And uh, it was really because we had a leader, her name was Louise C. Jones. And the tenants she pushed into us and got us to believe in, because she was a fantastic leader, was that all children can learn, all children want to learn, and we as the adults in the system have the responsibility for making that happen. So we're not going to use poverty as an excuse. We're not going to use race as an excuse. We're not going to be use uh, parents working and not being available as an excuse. We have these students for six and a half hours every day, and it's our responsibility to make sure they have the skills that they need. And those tenants I have carried through uh, from my first day of teaching till 
till now, the work uh, with and through all of my principalships and all of my superintendencies, uh, now into the work with NCUS. It really is about the adults in the system and us having the responsibility to make sure kids have the skills that they need so that they can live successful lives. You know, one of the uh, things that you said that caused me to think about a book that I read that another book I read that really had an impact on me is you said all students want to learn. We don't usually say that in education. Usually what we say is all students can learn, but we don't say all students want to learn. And I appreciate you saying that because the book that I read years ago um, was called The Myth of Laziness. And one of the very first things in that book talks about how every human being is born with a desire to be productive. So when we get to the point where we don't want to be productive, we have to look at what are the factors that are causing us not to want something that is a desire that we all have innately. So I appreciate you saying that because that I will I will use that myself. All all children, all people want to learn. What do we do to drive that want out of them? Totally uh, agree. And that and that's what's driven me in working with teams and working with schools all this time is is those those three tenants and and you really just um figuring out as a team at each of those schools or each of the districts how we can move forward to make sure these kids get the skills that they need. So so what book are you going to write that uh, lets us all in on this secret? <laughs> right now, just excited about this work. <laughs> Add that to your extensive list. of. <laughs> uh, well, uh, just in conclusion, I just want to find out, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about the work that you do or anything else that we should know about you, Dr. Matthews? Yes. I, the one thing I will say is, as I said, I, I've been, I was in the profession, or well, still am, but um, officially before retiring. And, so just, <laughs> and, and then 36 years, it was the last two that I really felt like everything gelled and it all made sense, even though little pieces had been together. And I, I, I don't say this lightly and I don't say, I'm not saying this just because I'm on this podcast. But it really was the work of INCUS, the work of Dr. Johnson in finding those best practices and um, and really crystallizing it in a way that it all, all of a sudden, it's it, it's like um, the Matrix and uh, and really finally having the, the, the pill. I don't know if it's red or the blue one, but having the one. <laughs> we might not want to talk about pills. <laughs> but the the. the the piece that all made it make sense. And so, like I said, there were all these pieces over time. Like I knew it's important for um, teachers to be clear about what the objective of the lesson is. I knew it's clear to, to make kids feel cared for and valued. I knew all of this, but it wasn't all put together. And seeing it all put together um, really, really crystallized, I said, in the last two years. So the reason I bring this up is that to say, if you're at the beginning of your career or even at the middle, um, both um, the leadership practices as well as the teaching practices in America's best schools, I would say would definitely benefit. And if I if I had one book that I wish I would have had 30 years ago, it would, well, two books, it would have been those two books. And I don't say that because I'm on this uh, podcast. I say that because I really believe that to be true. Well, hopefully you'll write a book one day too and share some of your experiences that you've shared with us today. So I want to thank you Dr. Matthews, for taking time out of your schedule to be on this podcast. 
I want to remind our listeners once again that the National Center for Urban Schools Transformation, also known as NCUST, was founded in 2005 to help districts and their partners transform schools into places where all students achieve academic proficiency, evidence of love of learning, and graduate well-prepared to succeed in post-secondary education, the workplace, and more importantly, their communities. We will broadcast a new episode of this podcast at the beginning of each month. You can subscribe to the NCUST Review on Spotify. Once again, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the NCUST Review, What Great Schools Do.